We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 234. And what's up to those who have joined on the Facebook stream? It's been a few weeks, as we were saying, Scott, since we've done this. And apparently you shaved. You now have a baby face for all the, for all the viewers out there. You wanted to look good for the occasion. Yeah, you know, I was trying to, um, trying to clean up for, in case I had any meetings with Yankees executives, uh, right. On May 26th or the weekend of, I needed to make sure that they, they saw it was legit. No, I actually just got completely sick of the beard. I've had it for like two years. But before that, and I just realized that the people who are listening to the show, the majority of them, have probably never seen me without a beard. But I have gone my entire life, most of my life, and most of my adult life without a beard. That is actually new. So while this may be strange for you, the beard was very strange for most. Yeah. And as, as you were saying, this is the first time Kemp has seen you uh, with no, no facial hair. So he probably doesn't recognize his own father. He, you know, it was a, I think it was a strange, uh, strange little beginning when he first saw me, yeah. but got, got, got to that dad phase real quick. You said May 26th, we're less than, we're six days away as we're recording this. That came up fast. We felt like after the first one, which was the first weekend in, weekend series in April, it was so long until the May 26th, but the Yankees have been so freaking exciting over the last month that it just went by so fast. Yeah. And, you know, we're over, we're definitely over 200 people. We're probably closer to 225, 230 at this point. It's going to be uh, a ridiculous time. The t-shirts, when they were ordered, you know, we, we got them all printed beginning of last week. 
and uh, and they've been delivered. I know they've been been sent out. A lot of people have told me that they've gotten the packages. Um, but if in case you haven't seen it, we put it out on Twitter what the actual picture was. Um, it's Magic in the Bronx with uh, you know with a, with the top hat in it. It's a cool shirt. It's uh, using the, the like similar text to our Bronx Pinstripes logo. So uh, I'm I'm happy with the shirt. I think it's awesome looking, and that's kind of what it is, right? That's what we've seen this season. And really, in the past, in in the in the playoffs, that's what it's been. It's, whenever the Yankees are in the Bronx, if it's in a postseason game or a big game, just things start to happen. People talk about the ghosts of the stadium if they've come over to the new stadium. All these things, uh, I think, go into the magic of the Bronx. So, uh, I thought it was a good uh, good idea for the shirt. Hope everybody likes it. Um, but yeah, May twenty sixth. If you have not gotten them today, Monday, which is the the day most of these people are listening. They are today will probably be the last day that we're selling tickets. Um, most likely Monday is going to be the last day. So if you have not bought the tickets, make sure that you go on and buy them. Uh, Friday was the original date. We kind of pushed it forward. Talking with the Yankees, we got a couple extra days. So if you have more friends, if you're trying to add more people, definitely go on and don't wait. They will. It'll be off of our fan shop um, on Monday evening, definitely. So go do that again. It's, uh, $68 and you're getting a game ticket in section 205. Some people will be in 206, but we'll be right in that area. Um, you're getting a, the pregame party. We're going to be at the brewery. You get a, your first 16 ounce beer of one of their four top core beers, uh, is going to be included in your ticket. And then obviously the, uh, magic in the Bronx shirt. Most of you have gotten it. If you don't, uh, get it. By the date, if you sign up a little later, what we're doing is they will all go out after the event or right around right around the event time after tickets <clears> are sold. So they will be mailed out. You will still be getting your T-shirt. Yes. Uh, but yeah, because yeah, some I'm, people I'm some people it. wondered about that if they if they can still get the shirt. But yeah, absolutely, you, you get the shirt no matter when you buy the ticket. Yeah, absolutely. And I know a lot of people are asking, hey, can I get that shirt? Can I buy that shirt in the fan shop? I'm not going to the event. Well, I'm sorry, but it's not going to be available in the fan shop, at least not now. You know, we'll probably release the major- a lot of these shirts that we've put in the events well after the event. But the people who are going to the event are the ones that are getting the T-shirts. And, you know, we're just trying to we're stepping up the game with the designs each time, making sure that they're they're awesome T-shirts. Um, and, yeah, it's a it's a it's a ridiculous deal to get all of that stuff. So I'm excited. And I know a lot of people have been hitting me up. Uh, we're going to start coordinating all the things this week, big heads, signs, all that stuff. We got, uh, we got some people that have been in the last episode or the last events. These guys are uh, the, the ones that have the loudest, <laughs> the loudest, the most vocal um, cheering voices. They're going to be strategically positioned so that we can get loud and, and get the entire group loud. So I'm excited. And this. no one returned John Sterling, big head. No one returned John event. Sterling? No. So Susan's going to be going stag to this event. Man, maybe we might have to, uh, might have to recreate John Sterling in some other form. <laughs> He's lost forever. Yeah. All right, guys, before we keep going and get into the show, I want to tell you about SeatGeek. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there is a better way to buy, and that's with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event, whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or need to find that perfect gift. SeatGeek SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, and that's fully guaranteed. Nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you there closer uh, to the action for a great price. I do have the SeatGeek app on my phone. That's how I was able to get some tickets for spring training. It was a good deal. It was easy. Uh, definitely the easiest way that I've found to shop for tickets. Uh, you could be anywhere with just a few taps. You can instantly find seats. I actually have used SeatGeek again for the spring training, and I've done it for regular season games. So go ahead and do that. Best of all, listeners of the Bronx Pinstripe Show will get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code BRONX today. 
That's promo code Bronx for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So the last time we talked, we had five and a half innings to go into and, and analyze and overanalyze and re-overanalyze. So now we actually have three baseball games. And the first one looked like the Yankees had only played five innings in five days because they came out flat, which I guess I suppose is understandable, but they quickly yeah. put that behind them, took care of the crummy Royals, took two out of three, which makes eight series wins in a row. I think I saw that's the first or it's the longest stretch they've had since the 98 season which was a special year everyone remembers. And now the Yankees sit at the best record winning percentage-wise, 30-13 and 13 in the big. So that's, that's just one of these things where you keep winning series even when you drop the first one to a, a poor team, a team you should not be losing to. A few things went wrong on Friday night, but they put it behind them, came back, got the win on Saturday and Sunday. Love it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to not expect a team coming out flat after not playing baseball for that long. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the way that the game and the season is, is built is, you know, these guys play practically every day, and that's how they get their rhythm. That's what they're used to. So, you know, totally understandable, and I really didn't think anything of it. And I think most Yankees fans saw, almost saw this coming and then, and then kind of chalked up to the fact that they haven't played in a long time uh, for a Friday night. But, yeah, like you said, the fact that they just came back and didn't use that as, as a long excuse for more than one game, um, not that they did, but we did, and just came back and took care of business, that was the big thing. It's not necessary. It doesn't have to be an excuse, but it, it's it's something that they realize. Let's just sweep this under the rug. Yeah. Move forward because it's just an aberration. Like they they played five innings between Monday and Friday. That that is just totally not normal, especially when you're in the late May at this point. They slept in an airport, which we have a mailbag question about. That's I understand. Like they're it's not like they're slumming it on on the bathroom floor of an airport. They're not flying coach. But it's still you're not in a bed, you're not in a hotel room. That friggin' sucks. I don't care what where you I mean are. some of them were just going to an area, a lobby area, or some sure. of them were right there. I mean, yeah, it wasn't like they had special privileges to where they were gonna no. sleep. Some of them just slept at the gate. Right. So, I mean, it sucks. And they came out and we saw uncharacteristic things on Friday, like Glaber Torres making an error that led to a couple runs for CC. And honestly, I thought he should have made that play in the first inning on the bloop to shallow center field. That's a play that he makes 99 out of 100 times, I think. Yeah. No, he had a, he had a tough day. We've seen him make some spectacular plays. And it seems like the, the, the simple nonchalant plays are the ones that he's, he's booted a couple times. And that's, and that's a purely just like, you know, Doing things too fast, I think, in your head, trying to get to the ball and, and throwing it, taking things for granted. A lot of things that a young player, you see in a young player, um, what you like is you see the athleticism and you see him making those ridiculous plays because that's where the talent is. The other ones, that stuff will get cleaned up as he gets on. Yeah, I think, what did he say, that he, um, he needed to just concentrate more or something like that? He, yeah. he, he lost a little bit of focus uh, on those plays. Exactly, and I think that's it. I think when you have an easy play like that, you take it for granted and you, know, you just kind of assume it's going to happen. And um, and then it just doesn't. You're like, and, and and then all of a sudden the guy's on base, and you're like, what just happened? The first one they they ruled it a hit. It was off off Glaber's glove, and I and I'm thinking, I mean, Brian Kenny, of course, like he had, we you got you had the conversation about kill the error. That is the exact sort of play he had in mind because that's a tough play. The batter put the bat on the ball. He he put it in a spot that's tough. So fine, credit him with a hit. But the one I, th- I think it was what was it the third inning or, or the second inning? CC was working out of trouble. It would have gotten him out of the inning. Yeah. And then it led to two more runs. That was that was right there, the turning point of the game on Friday. No doubt, and that's that's where that's where I think I have a problem when you're talking about Brian Kenny's his theory on uh, getting rid of yep. getting rid of the errors. And I understand a lot of them are are very much up for discussion. 
error or not error. Those are one of those, that's one of those plays that leads in, you know, continues an inning on that's a very apparent error and, you know, is a, is a big point in the game and, and should be, it's not on CC. There's nothing, nothing, anything about that play is on CC. It was a routine ground ball, should have been an out. So, right. yeah. They couldn't recover from it. And it was one of those weird games, like Whit Merrifield, three stolen bases. It's just, it's one of those nights where that's what's going to happen. And, and then we all say, you know, you know when I knew it was going to be a bad day? When the lineup came out and Torres's name was in the lineup. And then they were like, no, 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 just kidding. It was Torres. Classic mix-up. Torres, Torres. Like, this is the first time we've seen that so far. Fake lineup, guys. Yeah. That's when I knew it was going to be a rough night on Friday. Look, the guy who writes the lineup card hadn't done it in a week. The guy who, yeah. you know, it's, it's, a, it's a long stretch of nothing for everybody. So there, everybody was rusty on that day. So we will forget about that day. Yeah, uh, they the Yankees forgot about it. Come out on Saturday and Sunday, just mashing the ball all over the park. Hicks with the inside the park home run, second of the season, and that's just one of those classic second inside you, the park home run of the season. What did I say? Just second of the season. Yeah, yeah. Second, second inside the park home run of the season. Yeah. It's one of those. I, I wasn't listening, but I have to imagine John turned to Susan and said, "Well, you know, you can't predict baseball, Susan." Yeah, I mean that's exactly uh, it's a perfect spot for him to say these things. You know, this is a these are the these are the moments when you love John and, and Susan. And Glaber hit one, uh, crushed a three run homer. It was four hundred and twenty feet. All of his home runs this year have been over four hundred feet. Sneaky power uh, off the bat of Glaber. He has four home runs on the season. All of them have been crushed, and it's one of those things you could see him being a 20-home run hitter very, very soon. Yeah, I mean, he takes advantage of mistakes, and he talked about this too where he doesn't try to hit the ball out of the ballpark. It's definitely not something he's, he's aiming to do. He's definitely just trying to you know, hit the ball hard uh, and square, square the ball up for, for contact. And if you put a good swing on a, on a ball like that, with his swing, and his swing is beautiful. It is a thing of perfection. I love his swing. Um, you know, if he's, he squares that thing up, it's going to go out of, the, out of the ballpark. So, And, you know, when he pulls the ball, too, and he's quick to the ball, that thing could go a long way. And that's, that's what you saw. The ball was up in the zone a little bit, and he just dominated it. He got rid of the – he has a leg kick, and he just sort of did a toe tap on that one. Yeah. So you could see him making those, in, those in, in-game, in-bat adjustments yeah. uh, is what we've always heard about him. And every, I feel like every day we see something – where, okay, he recognized that he is, he's not doing something well, and he changed it, and boom, there are the results. Yeah, and I think he also can change it, you know, depending on what his competition is doing, too. If he needs to be a little quicker to the plate or a little quicker to the ball, you know, it's nice to know that he can do that, make an adjustment like that where, where he quiets down the leg kick, goes to a tap, and really can execute the rest of his swing with no problem. That's not, that's not something that a lot of guys can do. A lot of guys cannot do that and make that type of adjustment and get their timing back on, uh, you know, on uh, on par so that they can start making good contact. That's that's one of those things that is just very rare, even for a professional. And we're burying the lead because Sterling broke out a new call for him. Like a good Glaber, Torres is there. Yeah, that's... I don't know. I don't know if State Farm's getting any royalties for that, but they should. Uh, <laughs> this is the best call of the season so far for Sterling. Yeah. Well, you know what? He, he went back to his roots. He went back to the, the good, corny jokes that yes. John Sterling is good at, that everybody will remember that you're like, oh, that rings well with a home run. It's perfect. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's a good John Sterling call. I love it. Yep, absolutely. That not, Sanchez. That he, he, he was getting too complicated, getting a little too much into his own head, I think. Maybe the Italian girlfriend had too much influence, and he went back to the old things that he knew worked well and, and played. And this will play for a long time, as mm-hmm. way longer than State Farm insurance. It's catchy. Yeah. It's, I'm going to remember that. Yeah. 
Uh, Sanchez, four hits, two, two homers. He's got his average up to 225. I don't really think anyone is too concerned with his batting average, but, but it was ugly for a while because he was around the 200 Mendoza line. His production has been there, 12 homers, 33 RBIs. I know StatCast thinks that, you know, with the exit velocity that he's been um, that he's been producing and the launch angles that his numbers should be a lot better. I think maybe kind of like Hicks, he's been hitting into some bad luck. Um, I thought maybe, and I know we're going to get into this, I thought after the four-hit day we might see him in the lineup again on Sunday. We didn't, but, you know, Hopefully this is more just one of those Gary Sanchez tears that we've seen him do before. Yeah, and you know Boone was talking about this as well uh, in one of the post game interviews. I thought it was really interesting, and it's a similar a similar you know challenge that he gave to Didi early in the season of of being more patient at the plate. And, and uh, during that stretch when he was when his batting average was under two, first of all. Boone made it very apparent that he doesn't look at batting average. He's looking at all these other metrics around the the swing and what he's doing. Of course. He's looking at OPS. He's looking um, at the contact. He's looking at all these other things. And it makes sense. I, I you know, the, mo- the more I talk about it, the more I get into a lot of these numbers, the more I'm a believer that batting average is not a thing and you need to start looking at the full picture. I get it. But when you start to look, when you start to look at uh, what he's been doing, and now he's, you know, he's starting to take some more walks. But what we used to do before is he's like, you know, I'm such a good hitter that I can hit everything. And, you know, when the ball is out of the strike zone, your, your mind and, and your physical abilities, what they could do are sometimes different. When the ball is in the strike zone, Gary Sanchez is one of the most dangerous hitters in Major League Baseball. And that's exactly what he's been doing. He's more patient, waiting for his pitches. And now he's doing more damage uh, and he's able to control it. You can see the look on his face. Like even he said something when he hit that home run yesterday on Saturday. Um, uh, Joe's McFly tweeted out. I was like, what did he say? I wonder what he said. And Joe's McFly said, uh, vamos coño. It was one of those like, got you, let's, let's go type, you know, let's go with expletive, uh, for, for him. He was pumped up. He knew it. He's like, you, you mess around in the strike zone with me and I'm going to, I'm going to make you pay for it. And that's what right. he'll, he'll punish you. Yeah. How much of it do you think though, was the fact that he's been hitting fifth a lot and the sixth hitter has been a rotating door pretty much this season between Hicks and Neil Walker who never really have gotten it going or they haven't gotten it going until very very recently well I mean I think that goes that goes back to him recognizing the pitches and and making sure that he's staying in his zone because if you think about exactly what you just said who's the guy you want to attack Gary Sanchez or whoever's batting after him the obvious answer is who's ever batting after him so he's not going to see as many strikes um if he's laying off those strikes, then he's going to, you know, he's going to force the pitcher to either walk him or put the ball over the plate. Or if you're making a mistake, you know, Gary Sanchez at that point is going to be ready and make you pay for it. And I think that's what's happening. Um, and the, the whole, the whole lineup was just on fire on Saturday and Sunday, Austin with the two Homer day on Sunday. I think he's continues to make it interesting for, for when bird is back. I think bird slots into that six spot, giving Gary Sanchez some protection, Yeah, but it's, it's, we, this has been, I think the number one mailbag question we've received for like three weeks running. What are the Yankees going to do when Greg Bird comes back? Because they have too many major league uh, caliber players right now. I understand that's a good problem to have. That is a first-world problem to have if you're the New York Yankees. But it's still a problem. So what do they get? Because Tyler Austin has, after he slumped, he had hit the home run, uh, had the three RBIs to tie the game in the half a game on, on, um, against Washington, and then huge day-to-day. Well, and we saw Tyler Austin was, was having a really good season up until the suspension. I mean, that, that suspension... Yep. Cooled him off. It definitely cooled him off, and then he came back. I want to say he was like over 
over 12 or over 10 when he started off. It was something like that, something along those lines. He, he definitely started off cold. You're starting to see him get back into a, into a groove and, and find his swing. Uh, and it's going to be a tough decision. I, I don't know what they're going to do, but when you're looking at the different options of, of who you can send down, you're looking at a bullpen arm. You're looking at a guy that is, is uh, you know, in the back or the, somewhere in, the, in a bullpen situation that's, that's, uh, that's not going to be used as much. Um, and, and then you're looking at what position players can, can actually be moved. And honestly, at this point, Tyler Austin is probably one of the only guys. I don't think they're going to move on from Neil Walker at this point. We saw now that he's adding a lot of value. He can play first base. Um, he can. Uh, he's hitting in big situations. I mean, he started how many rallies, and now he can play other bases too, So or other positions. So I don't think that and, that's one of the options at this point. And his contract, not that it's a ton of money. Right. But Austin at least gives you options where you can send him down to the minors and call him back up this season. If you want to move on from Neil Walker, you have to make that decision right now, and then that's it for the season. Because Neil Walker will get another job somewhere. Right. He's not going to accept a minor league assignment. The, the other thing about the um, when you're looking at bullpen arms, and, and, and if you're looking at that type of option as well, it's going to be tough to do that because of what's happening in June. June is, is going to be a uh-huh. ridiculous month of, of Yankees schedule. Like they, they have, what, three days off, I think, of the whole it's, month? It's 28 and a half games in 30 days. Yeah. So they are going to need these bullpen arms. The bullpen arms are going to be essential in, in June because of, you know, the, the, there's no days off. So there's going to be a lot of guys getting too much work. The, the starters are going to, it's going to be essential for them to go deep into games. Um, and then we're going to start seeing, most likely, during that home series, I guarantee we're going to start seeing that Scranton shuttle just start going because we're going to see one guy just, just continue to go. So they can use that one roster spot and try to fill it with many, you know, more than one guy. At least for the doubleheader against Detroit in the in the technically two games against Washington, you get a twenty sixth man on those days, and and you don't have to. Um, it's basically a free twenty sixth man. You can just call a guy up for a day, send him back down, no questions asked, and it always will be a bullpen arm. Always will be a bullpen arm. That's going to be a bullpen arm. There's no doubt about it. So you know maybe there's still that stretch. You still have to think about who's going to be playing up until those points. Yes, you're given that extra luxury of an added player, but. It's still going to be a lot to manage. So when you when you start looking at the position players and who is going to go when Greg Bird does come up, you know Tyler Austin. Unfortunately, even though he's hitting right now, seems to be a guy that you got to circle and you got to put him up there as one of the you know top two candidates to be sent down. I would, yeah, and and then I, I don't think it's Andujar because I don't think Andujar is no. on the hot seat until Jury is ready to come back. I don't even think he's on the hot seat at that point. I think he's got the position right now. I think Jury is. Uh, Still sight unseen. We don't know what to expect at this point. Right. But you saw what the Yankees did with Clint Frazier. They called him up for the Washington series, which didn't really happen. Right. They kept him against Kansas City, I think, only because Kansas City was throwing two lefties this weekend. Right. In, in Duffy and Scogland. Even though Frazier only got the one start, he had, what was it, two walks and a double? Yeah. Um, I thought maybe he'd get him in there again today just to get, just because he's here. And, and I think they knew they were going to send him down after the game. I, I figured maybe let's just get him in because he's here. They, did, they decided not to. Um, but I think what we're going to see, they haven't announced a roster move yet. I think it's going to be a bullpen arm. As they're moving towards Bird, then when Bird comes back, as you just said, it's probably going to be Tyler Austin, unless there's another injury, knock on wood, that doesn't happen. And then once the long stretch happens, just... Play it by ear, I guess. Yeah, with, uh, with the last men in the bullpen, and and you know who knows what happens at that point. Uh, and, and I'm looking at the comments in uh, in Facebook too. A lot of people are talking about Gardy and Hicks, so we're going to get to that definitely in the in the show. We have a mailbag about that. Yeah, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what does. Um, uh, you know, unfortunately, the way Tyler Austin is playing, he he certainly doesn't deserve to go down. But 
I mean, you they're in a position where somebody, if everybody's playing well, somebody who doesn't deserve it has to be go because there's a limit. You know, it just has to happen. And you got to have pitching. You got to be ready for that extra, you know, with an extra bullpen guy in case things go bad. The bullpen arm is extremely important. When you have another guy who can play first base, that's what makes, and the fact that Tyler Austin doesn't play any other position right now, that's what makes him vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Didi, who was not in the lineup over the weekend uh, for two straight games. Everyone realizes the slump he's in right now. So the first 31 games of the season, he won player of the month, 333 average, 712 slugging, 10 homers. Last 10 games, he's one for 42. That's an 024 batting average. He's got a 089 on base percentage. So it's just as bad as you can get. This is not even market correction because this is so far beyond market correction. I don't even know what to call it. <laughs> yeah. It's he's in his own head. He's really struggling right now. He's you could tell. I mean, even after that one hit, everybody's like, "Oh, he's good. He got a hit." And you could just tell he wasn't doing it. I was thought. I think I uh, I was isolated isolated the one incident where he needed to get a runner over from second base. And all DD does is pull the ball. Couldn't even do that. He hit it to the uh, left center field. <laughs> it's just something he doesn't ever do. So when you notice that, and he's and he's so out of it, um, he's really struggling. And he's talking about not doing anything different, trying doing the same things. Uh, it's, that's hard to believe. I, I think mentally right now he's, he's in a tough spot, but well, yeah, he needs out, to start two, doing something different. You're right. He does because he's being pitched differently. And if you look, uh, pitchers were attacking him in, in the, in the first month of the season, he was making him pay. He can pull the ball and that's where all of his power is to the pull side. Now he's mostly seeing pitches on the outer third of the plate. He's still hitting the ball relatively hard, but he doesn't have the same type of power to left center and center that he does to right field and right center. So I think he doesn't um, have any power to left field. That's just no, he like, does, no, when you look at his he home run chart, he's still, it's all right field. He has still hit some line drives and hit, hit, hit some balls decently hard. I think I um, was reading an article and they, and it said like his expected um, on base average is like one thirty or one, I think it was like one twenty six, and he's Oh 89. So it's shitty either way. But it is, he is still hitting into some bad luck. Even though he's crappy right now, he's crappy plus bad luck. And when you have crappy plus bad luck, you get these non-existent, like, I can't even fathom them. They're so low numbers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one for 41, is the, one for 42 is the last 10. Yeah. It's, it's struggling, man. And, and, you know, he's just not seeing the ball well. He's not. He's not the same. The, the guy that he was before, the reason he was having such success is because he was being so uh, particular about what pitches he was going to swing at. That's where we saw the walks coming. We saw a very different Didi. But, you know, even throw that stuff away and take away the walks, we're, we're not seeing that Didi right now. We're not seeing the guy that, that made those different improvements. He's not, we're not seeing a guy that went back, you know, to, to what he was at the end of last year or last year mostly, where he wasn't walking as much and being more aggressive. He's just not making contact. And when he is making contact, it's not good contact. So something needs to change. Two days off, maybe that's a, maybe that's a nice little reset button. Actually, it's been, he, it's been more than two. It's been a friggin' week. So maybe well, no, he did. He played on Friday, but does he play on Monday against Bartolo Colon? Yeah, I think he. I think he does. I don't think he's going to go more than two days. I was honestly surprised that he was out today. Um, but you know, you have a lefty up. Even though he does hit left-handed pitching, uh, since he's been with the Yankees, you know, it was just another mental day. I think that for him to to take a break. And I saw a quote from your Marcus, boy, your boy Ronald Torres, just steps up and just just does, <laughs> just does what he does, man. Every time, bat on ball, yeah, yeah. Torres just puts the bat on the ball every every freaking time. Every time. Um, 
I saw a quote from Tim's and they said that uh, I just told Didi to not even take cage work, don't take batting practice, don't touch a bat for the next 48 hours. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you just got to forget about things and then, and then re- hit the reset button and come back with a clear head. And yeah. I, I think that'll, that'll help him out. It's not affecting the overall lineup production, and neither is the fact that Aaron Judge is in a little bit of a slump. I thought maybe they would get Sanchez's bat at the DH spot today, give Judge a little breather, who has barely had any days off. Well, I understand he had a week off. Everyone had a week off. But he plays every day that the Yankees play. He was 0 for 11 coming into uh, Sunday's game. Did he have a, I don't think he had a hit today. He hit a ball deep to right center field that, that was caught at the wall. Uh, I thought maybe you'd see Stanton and Wright uh, Sanchez DHing today didn't happen. Judge is scuffling. We'll see if he gets a day off in Texas. Yeah, I mean he's a guy that's you know he he he's a, he he's allowed a, a mini a mini slump, not too many of them, but a mini slump. Well, it's you telling know, that that Judge can be in a slump and Didi can be nowhere to be found, and the lineup is still. Producing. Well, I mean it's a different type of slump. The the thing is is that Didi is is missing. <laughs> he's been missing for weeks now. Judge is in a in a mini slump, but he's been you know, so consistent the entire year. I mean, he's even talking about the fact that he really doesn't feel like he's hit a good streak yet at this point. He doesn't feel like he's been as consistent as he should be or can be. And, you know, he has probably been, if you look across the the, the lineup up and down for the entire year, he has been the most consistent guy. Um, he's always he's always been there. He really hasn't. This is the first slump that we're seeing. Uh, but, you know, he's got to nip it in the butt. I think it's, you know, once, he, once we saw what a long slump looks like for Aaron Judge, and we've lived through it, and he's lived through it. I think it's, it is important for him not to let this go on too long because then, you know, some bad things can start happening. He can start reverting into bad things. I hope he can nip it in the butt and just uh, and turn the corner. But it's not very long right now, so it's not, not anything to worry about. You could tell he was visibly upset with some of the strike calls on him on Saturday night, that low and away pitch that we saw last season where umpires just have not figured out in their brain that this guy is six foot seven and the strike zone is different than your normal six foot three baseball player. And it's an impossible pitch for him to hit. It may or may not be a strike, but all I know is it's an impossible pitch for him to hit. And if the umpires are calling it a strike, he's, he's gonna struggle. It's that's just how it is. Right. It's gonna, if, if it's, if it's, if it's clipping the outside, if it's clipping the black, he's going to have a hard time, but at the same time, it's not easy to put that pitch there. You know, no. so it's not an easy pitch for uh, a pitcher to throw and locate with consistency. So and get the call with consistency, too, because right. chances are it's going to be an inch or two inside or out. And if it's an inside, if that pitch is missing by an inch or two, uh, Aaron Judge is going to smack the ball. And, you know, who knows where it's going to go. So I'm not too worried about that. But he's still identifying pitches. He's been striking out a little bit more in this slump. But again, I think it's just something where he needs to get back into his groove. And a guy like that, to me, a big guy like that. Days off really, really can, can uh, hurt a guy like that where, you know, it's, it's just finding that, that, that same spot, getting back those mechanics, getting back that, that muscle memory uh, to a point. I think he needs consistency for sure. Let's talk about your guy, Sonny Gray. Thank God. Be- Thank best start. God. Was it his best start as a Yankee? Oh, by Probably, far. Probably, right? Yeah. I'd, say, yeah. I'd say by a lot, actually. I think, yeah, eight innings. Yeah. He, this was the first time he actually recorded an out in the seventh inning this year. Oh. He had never gone past six innings, so, which is ridiculous. We're looking at Sonny Gray today, and I was paying very close attention to this entire start, and just just I was I was trying to analyze every little thing of what we could see from this guy, and I can tell you from the very beginning, we saw it was almost a level of urgency. A uh, you know he was a, he was definitely attacking the zone. 
Um, you were talked about this when we were when we were setting up for the show. He really didn't shake off Austin Romine much. He Once. was he was uh, efficient. He was going about nine sec- nine seconds for the first two innings, and then it started going between nine and twelve seconds after that on 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 pitches that were thrown back to him. Which think about that. He was twenty seven seconds three times. That is that is a gigantic difference. You're cutting that in half, if not more. That's yeah. huge. So huge. what that means is he's getting the ball, he's going back to the rubber, resetting himself, resetting his feet, looking up, taking the pitch, going into his motion. And that's exactly but, what happened. And what we saw, what we saw was, was him throwing the ball effectively for strikes. That curveball was very good. He was locating it. He was, uh, he was locating it down in the zone. It was 79 to 82 miles per hour. Beautiful. Fastball, 94 miles an hour. He had a little slider that was going in the mid mid to uh, higher 80s. So the velocity was changing quite a bit. The eye level was changing quite a bit. He was throwing the fastball for strikes early <clears> in counts to try to sneak one past. And he's a different guy. When you go 0-1, 1-0, the Yes Network put up the, the numbers for it, but you go 0-1, 1-0, he's a different guy. And I mean, th- granted, that's an easy thing to say, right? Playing ahead for a pitcher is an easy thing. But with Sonny Gray, if he's not ahead in the count, for whatever reason, his, his mind goes, goes, uh, goes awry. That's what I want to get to. It's that, and Cone said this on the broadcast, when things don't go right for Sonny Gray, he lets them snowball. Everything went right for him today in the first seven-plus innings of the game. The first time we saw him in trouble was in the eighth inning. And to his credit, he didn't let it get to him, and he battled through. I mean, granted, he had, what was it, an eight-run lead at that point, so fine, he could just attack. But he retired the first 14 Royals hitters, so he never, never even had to go to the stretch. He never had to think twice about, oh, did I, was that the wrong pitch? Do I have to question Austin Romine now? Because I, I threw the curveball in that situation and the guy hit it there. He didn't, that was never going through his mind because it didn't happen. So what, it's like a chicken or the egg situation. What is it? Is it trusting your catcher and attacking? Or is it him saying, no, I'm... I have the ability. I have the stuff. Just because that guy roped a single off me doesn't mean I'm not going to strike this next guy out. Well, see, everything you're doing right there is 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 the problem. I think <laughs> everything that you're 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 setting up as a as what he's potentially doing is the problem. Because before, what I think he was doing was thinking too damn much when he's on there and not yes. trusting his stuff. So all of those all of those thoughts that you just mentioned should never even enter his brain because there's. But a, they didn't have a chance to today. But well, it's because that was a because he was doing it with emphasis. This was the plan. <laughs> this was, this okay. was the plan. He wasn't. He 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 said, "I'm not going to have the opportunity to think about that stuff because I'm going nine okay. to twelve seconds." I'm going to understand what I'm saying. I do see what if you're saying. Had, but if, we had, if, if he had gotten in trouble in the third inning, it would have been interesting to see how he dealt with that. I agree. I agree. And I mean, it's, you can't talk about the fact that you're like, oh, I wish no, 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 of course I wish he got in start. trouble so that we could I'm, see no, what no, it was. No, no, I'm not, no, I'm not knocking the start. Obviously, I'd be a moron if I was. It was eight innings. He only threw 92 pitches. It was beautiful. Right. That, but what he needs, what what um, we saw, what like works. this is an e- this was works. an easy start. This was an easy start for Sonny Gray. The Yankees crushed the ball, and the Royals were uh, were flailing all over the place. Like, and but that they was were flailing to, to all his credit. They were fl- exactly they were flailing all over the place because his curveball was very good. That curveball was that curveball low and away to right-handed bats was was very difficult today, especially when he's coming up ninety-four. And it's a it's a ninety-four that jumps off that hand when you're. The way that he has that delivery, he's got a little bit of a delay in, in, the, in the motion. When you have that little bit of a delay and the ball's coming 94 off of a guy like him, it's, and, and then he has an 81-mile-an-hour uh, curveball, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look hotter than 94. It, it, it comes at you quicker than 94. So 
to his credit, he was throwing that with effectiveness and confidence. That's the biggest thing. He was throwing with confidence. He They had a plan, and rather than talking about it in the middle of an inning, thinking about it in the middle of an inning, they just executed the plan. And I think that's what he has to do. He's getting in his own head too damn much, getting yes. in his well, own way. And, and when you're just executing a plan and you say, this is it, we're not doing anything else, we won't devi- deviate from it. If the plan doesn't work this time, then we'll go back and think about that plan later. And that's what happened. That's a good segue into the article. And even Ruko was talking about it on the broadcast. It was an article on The Athletic about Sonny Gray. And he's a cerebral guy. He thinks. He's an intellectual. He likes to think his way through games. That can backfire. As, you, as we just discussed, that can backfire. Especially for a pitcher of his ability, that can backfire. Like Sabathia, at this point, maybe needs to think more because his stuff isn't there. And that's nah, a good man, thing. Sabathia doesn't care. He doesn't give a rat's ass about anything okay. or anybody. He just goes and does what he does. You understand what I'm saying, though? Like, Sabathia might need to outthink a hitter. Sonny Gray, for the most part, should be able to just attack hitters. He's got 27 different breaking balls, if you, if you listen to anybody who, who caught him in Oakland, where he's applying different pressure on the ball. He doesn't care about grip. It's just he puts a little extra pressure on his index finger or his, or his middle finger or his ring finger, and he might get slightly more uh, 12 to 6 break on his curveball than, than horizontal break on his curveball. Like, all these little things Sonny Gray likes to tweak on the mound. Yeah, he might have fastball slider change up curveball, but he's got two, three variations of all those pitches. Well, and I think that's part of the uh, the executing the plan. I think I think Romine's got to got to if, if he's if Romine's the guy, you know, you got to make sure that we're we're talking about the same pitches, the same pressures. We're talking about all these little variations of each pitch. You better be on the same page of which one you're going to throw and stop messing around in the middle of it on, on different different things that you're doing. Romine should know exactly what's coming at any given point. So the fact that he is even not thinking about the, the, the way he's going to throw that curveball or the way he's going to throw a slider or the way he's going to throw a changeup. And, and David Cohn was talking uh, today, calling it a power changeup, which is interesting because, you know, you see the, the, um, the speed variation on the curveball, low 80s, and then him throwing a changeup, which he doesn't throw very often, but it's a high 80s, more of a, a power changeup that's, you know, giving you the same look, same arm slot, same uh, exact look of a fastball, but you're still taking uh, some speed off of it. So, Whatever they did today, they need the blueprint. And and I'm, and I'm not going to even chalk up to say that the it was a horrible Royals lineup. This is the same Royals lineup that gave Luis Severino problems yesterday. So it's it, they're a capable bunch of, of hitters. No, they're not a bad team. I mean, they're not a they're great not team, a good but they're team. not a terrible team. They're not a terrible lineup. Right. So Especially the top of that lineup has some guys that that are good or have been good in Moustakis is good. Solera is, is having a very good year. Per, Salvador um, Perez is a good hitter. Absolutely. Uh, Gordon. What, so the, we're talking about guys who Merrifield. Can, Merrifield's hitting like 295 this year. Yeah. And he's hitting like 500 against the Yankees. This guy was on base three. And Ryan Goins continues to only get hits. Against I, dude, I didn't even realize he was on the Royals until he got a hit. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, it's Ryan Goins. Where did <laughs> of course he come Ryan from? Goins. Yeah. So well, sick of seeing Ryan Goins. I think, I think what – so Sonny Gray's next start is going to come against the Angels at Yankee Stadium. And it, actually, are we going to see him next Saturday? Like that might line up, right, it, next Saturday? It, it might. Uh, it, that, would make, that would make two Sonny Gray outings on uh, Bronx Pinstripe. I don't know days. if I can handle that in person, honestly. <laughs> um, but it's, I, I want to see if Sonny Gray gets in trouble, how does he deal with that? Right. Does he let it snowball or does he say – I just had a fantastic start, and I mowed down the Royals lineup. Let me tap that and, and get out of this first and second jam right now. Yeah. Well, I, again, I hope these thoughts don't even enter his mind. That's, that's the problem. Stop thinking. They're going to. More They're doing. going to. That's the type of guy he is. But that's the thing. Austin Romine needs to level that. 
Austin Romine, if he's the guy, if he's the Sonny Gray whisperer, he needs to level all of this. And he needs to say, <laughs> he needs to know that, hey, Sonny, we've talked about this. Stop thinking. If you go more than 15 seconds between pitches, we're going to have problems and you're, we're going to go back into that room and I'm going to show you those moves I showed you last week. Like, this is going to be a problem. So he needs to stop doing that shit, get out of his own head, and let Austin Romine call the game. That's it. <clears throat> last, last bit from that article that kind of worried me is that apparently he's good friends with David Price from his, their days at Vanderbilt. Yeah. And that worries me because I think David Price is just so mentally weak and he's a soft player. And I hope that Sonny Gray is not that. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's the Vanderbilt <laughs> connection. We know why they're friends. They probably wouldn't be friends otherwise. But it's the Vanderbilt connection. They go back and they have, you know, they... They laugh it up to, at, at alumni events and, and drink their champagne and their Heinekens, and they, and they tell stories from the day. So it's what they do. It's their thing. I, I hope none of it bleeds through. There's no osmosis of, of, uh, of the softness, even though I think he's still soft. So Bird is around the corner. Yeah. Who knows what that means? Does that mean three days, five days, ten days, but he's around the corner? I really think that we are going to see him in that Angel series. At home, they're going to have the three games in Texas, day off on Thursday, I think we see him Friday in the Bronx. It's possible. I think that I think that's a we said the, uh, Boone was talking about this week sometime or within the week. Yep. So yeah, I think that I, I don't think they're gonna. Let's put it this way: I don't think they're gonna fly him to Texas for a day. No, a I game. think when he come when they go home, he's gonna be up. I, I agree yes. with that. I think that's a. I think that's a. It makes a lot of sense, especially when he's in Scranton doing all the uh, the work. It's an easy easy little shot over to the stadium. That's what's going to happen. So, yeah, I think, I think we're going to see him. I think we're going to be square in Section 205 in the bird's nest, potentially there for uh, either his first or second game. Yep. It makes uh, sense by timeline. Does he get just a standing ovation when he comes back? Does he get sort of like a, apprehensive, yay, bird is back. You're on the don't field. get hurt, please. Don't get hurt. Don't trip over the bag. Yeah, it's not like we're really – it's not like the Yankees have been missing him that much either. Though. That's one of the things that – They've got the best record in baseball. Best record in baseball. you got Tyler Austin hitting two home runs on a day. Like this guy's hitting – you know, he's going, he's going well again. He's the guy who, who reinvigorated the fight between the, or the, the rivalry with the Yankees yep. and the Red Sox. Like Tyler Austin is in a very good spot with Yankee fans right now. The fact that Greg Bird is coming in, um, you know, maybe we're a lot of people have been asking, is this is this going to be a platoon situation? Well, again, it totally depends on what well, happens. It might not be with Tyler Austin, though. It might be with Neil Walker. It's going to be interesting because it would be unrealistic to expect Bird to come back and just be the Greg Bird we saw in September and October of last year. Like, that's unrealistic. So he's going to struggle, most likely. Do Yankee fans start saying, well, we had a guy who was hitting. Why are we why are we going with a guy who's who's struggling right now? I mean, I think most people understand that the only way to get Greg Bird back is to have him go through those growing pains. I don't. But, I don't think we're going to see Tyler or Tyler Austin or anybody else up uh, when we're when we're facing a right-handed pitcher. I think Greg Bird will be in the lineup 100 percent every single time that happens. Do I expect him to struggle in the beginning though? I I don't. I don't know why he. Why does he have to struggle in the beginning? I don't understand that. If he's going down in the minor leagues and getting his at bats, there's no reason why he can't come up and. I mean, he doesn't have to light the world on fire, but he doesn't need to struggle. I don't, I don't see why that has to be a thing. If he's 100% healthy, he's getting his at-bats in the minor leagues. Like, that's the whole point of that. He should be able to come in ready to go and, and, and be able to resume production. If Theoretically, right. he's a professional ball player, right? Like, that's, I'm not going to sit here and say, and I'm not going to give him uh, you know, the, the, the okay to struggle for two to three weeks to get under yourself. Like, that's what Scranton's for. 
So from one injury-prone guy that we love to another that we hate, Ellsbury is hurt again. He's now dealing with a sore back. I guess he was shut down if he was ever back up in rehabbing. Who knows? Add it to the list. He went down with the oblique in spring training. Then he had the plantar fasciitis, gout, turf toe issue, and now he's got a sore back. I think next we're going to see just a, a sore ego. Maybe he'll deal with some migraines. Maybe he'll just have a hangnail. Um, maybe he'll be constipated. Turf toe to, can last a long time. Turf toe is one of those injuries that can just, you know, it can come and go for a long time. I, I think I asked uh, Hope this question, but I, my prediction is we never see Ellsbury play another game for the New York Yankees. I totally agree. I don't think there's, I don't see in what capacity he could come back right now. No, I'm not just talking this year. I mean, he's obviously under contract. Oh, no, no, no. They're going to, he's under contract, but this is the only other year they're going to release him. We're going to see yeah. uh, money being eaten. That's that's what's happening right now. They're effect- all of it. No one's no one's taking any money at this point. No, they're effectively eating this contract currently. That's what's happening. He's staying on the disabled list for all these ridiculous injuries forever, <laughs> for, forever, forever. And do you think he even he's wants not, to come he, back? He's not getting a special consultant job, a special advisory role <laughs> with the New York Yankees. That ain't happening. He's gonna what be- if he was the special assistant to the to the trainer? He could be like head of scouting has in the to have, Pacific Northwest. Like maybe that's something. See, he has to have at this point so much experience with injuries and dealing with injuries that I think he could be of value in the trainer room. Well, I mean, if we're going to talk about uh, if we're talking about some kind of an advisory role, it's the only the only thing that makes sense is how to get catcher's interference and talk about that with the young guys at captain's camp in yes. in Tampa. That's the only thing I could see him doing for the Yankees. But other than that. This dude is going to get paid a lot of money to do absolutely nothing. He's going to be rafting. He's going to be hiking trails. He's going to be, uh, you know, doing all these. Well, all he's these going to be sitting on his pile Northwest. of money. Yeah, yeah. He's not going to be playing uh, baseball. Esteban Florial will require surgery on a broken. Uh, ha- Let's just call it a wrist. Hematite <laughs> bone. Ha- whatever. Uh, I wrist, thought it was a typo issue. in the in the original tweet, and it was hamstring. I didn't see broken. It was just a, a, a an injury. <laughs> no, it's a wrist injury, not a hamstring injury. Uh, he shut up the prospect boards for the Yankees. Uh, possibly one of the reasons we saw Blake Rutherford get dealt last season at the deadline because of what this kid has done um, in the minors for them so far. He was off to a slow start in High A. This is going to just delay his his progress this season. He's out until August. Yeah. Um, but just get healthy and move forward. Yeah. Maybe, see what he does. I mean, he, he's still so far away from the team. I think that's what we talked about. Like when the Yankees are trading prospects, who is it going to be? And I don't see them entertaining the idea of trading Florio because they have so much time with him. Right. And they have outfield. They have an abundance of outfielders right now and an abundance of outfielders like Clint Frazier who are ready to play in the majors. Florio's not close to the major leagues. So you can sit on him, develop him maybe 2019, 2020, he can, he can really contribute for you. Yeah, and that's, I mean, 2019 would be the absolute earliest. That would be like right. a, a September call-up type thing. Th- right. this, guy, this guy has uh, like very, very, very big ability. The Yankees believe in him. They like him as a person, the way that he conducts himself. Um, it's a shame that he got this injury so that he's not going to be playing baseball for a little while. But I, I don't think it, it changes much in the way that they look at him, the way that they see him, the way that they are, or have uh, you know, a timeline on him because – Again, we're we're looking for another year. The bottom line is he needs to stay healthy. Hopefully, these you know an injury doesn't doesn't linger um, with the wrist, and he can just come back from this completely healthy because that's the biggest thing. But he's an exciting player that the Yankees have a lot of, and I and right now you're definitely not going to trade him. Um, you're not going to trade him on this point. And I just don't, I I do think if if there is an untouchable within the Yankees farm system at this point, it is him. Yeah, probably. Other than 
Uh, would you call Justice Sheffield? No, I don't. Even, no, I don't think so. Right. I don't think anybody else but Florial is untouchable <laughs> at this point. Uh, Yankees going to Texas. Tanaka versus Old Man Bartolo Colon on Monday. It'd be interesting to see how Tanaka comes out in the game. Does he go immediately to the stretch like we saw him adjust to yeah. in that Washington game, or does he go back to the windup? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he goes. I, I, you know, if he feels confident, I have a feeling it's going to be one of those things where if he's not feeling the way his body, he's not liking the way his body feels when he's in the motion, he'll just go right to the stretch. But if it works and and that's what you're 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 dealing with, and you're you're dealing with like a, a very very good. Um, you know, result from being in the stretch, then yeah, stick with it. Why not? If it's working, it's working. But I have a feeling he's going to start with, you know, full motion. And then if it doesn't work, maybe go to the stretch. Yeah. You can't lose to Bartolo Colon, though. Come on. Like, you just can't. That's <laughs> well, the just Yankees one of those actually, things. Yankees have good numbers off Cologne. They're, they're hitting 333, 360, 667 against Cologne. These Yankees. Cologne has done well against I was gonna them. Say, he's been in the league for 97 years. So, other what Yankees, are we looking at but numbers? These, these Yankees, these young Yankees, Guys who were in their mother's womb when Bartolo Colon was breaking into the major leagues yeah. uh, have done well against them. Well, they should hit him, absolutely. Be patient, stay back, hit the ball. Herman versus Doug Fister on Tuesday, and then CC versus Cole Hamels uh, on Wednesday. We have a mailbag question in a, in a couple minutes coming up about the Rangers, so we'll talk about them more in a minute. Let's get to mailbag questions right now, though. Before I do so, if you want to submit mailbag questions, you can do it at bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. Uh, you can also tweet us at Yankees Podcast, and you can join the Facebook group. It's called the Bronx Pinstripe Show, believe it or not, and you can post your questions there. Uh, also, we're not giving away a T-shirt on this episode for ratings and reviews, but you guys need to uh, continue with the awesome reviews. Five-star reviews will enter you into a uh, t-shirt contest scott and i pick the ones that make us laugh make us cry make us feel good however we're feeling on that day but it does help us out a ton so let's get into these mailbags first up is from jim l i'm sure you saw the yankees got stuck at the airport in dc how does this happen to a pro team and can you imagine if george were still around he would not have allowed for this <laughs> no it's, this is one of those things uh and on the facebook's leanne is very excited about the comments the uh, or about the mailbags coming up. So the uh, I don't know how this happens. I really don't. The only thing I could think of is just like one of those one of those one of those things where it's like, oh, your flight's delayed, gonna be two hours. Oh, oh, at that two hour mark, oh, it's gonna be another two hours. It's gonna, well, we've all gone through. Yeah, that. you know what I mean. Like it just keeps continuing to go. But if you had news ahead of time, like oh, we're gonna be delayed through the night. No. So what happened was obviously they were flying out. They planned to fly out on Wednesday night. The game didn't happen. There was weather, horrible weather up and down the East Coast right. all, all week. Right. Weather delays, and then there was a mechanical issue uh, with the plane. Yeah. Which is why they canceled the flight. I want to know, though, two things. You're really telling me they could – nowhere around D.C. there was a hotel room where they could go and sleep for the night? That's the first thing. And two, why don't the Yankees just have, like, a private jet? Like, why do they not have a private jet for, the, for these guys? I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know how this could happen to the New York Yankees. It really. I mean, you're 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 not getting a booking somewhere in uh, in DC at that point. Like I understand that that hotels could be completely booked at that point, and you're not able to get anything. It just seems very strange that that something like this could happen to a professional baseball team at this point. It really. Dude, does. The, the hotel Ramada doesn't have a couple rooms. Like guys can bunk up at that point. Anything. You know, I the, I'm still thinking that like yeah, there's a mechanical problem, but they're like oh, but it might be. We might be good in like an hour or two. Like, I feel like the timeline just kept creeping. That's the only thing I can think of. I don't of. know. 
The, the details that I read in the article I read, I think it was on the New York Post, were kind of fuzzy. They just said mechanical issue. Yeah. Whatever that means. It's a weird... Because that's, that's classic airlines. They don't tell you what actually is wrong. Right. There's an, there's an issue with the Johnson rod. Yeah. Like, okay, Johnson rod's not working. You can't pull out. Yeah. How are you supposed to do this? How are we supposed to fly a plane? You want me to fly a plane with a broken Johnson rod? <clears throat> uh, is this, though, team building? Is this like one of those things that they look back on and we hear about in the... Uh, in the Yankeeography of the 2018 World Series champion Yankees. Well, yeah. you remember that time in May when we had to sleep in the Washington, D.C. airport? Yeah, it'll be on the VHS, uh, the, the World Championship video recording. For VHS. The VHS. It won't be on the DVD or the, or the digital copy, yeah, I, only on the VHS. I need to see the VHS. It's the only way I can watch these. But yeah, I think it's going to be one of those things. You know, you got to laugh about these type of things. When you're in there and you're talking about these, uh, these moments that happened, you're like, how the hell? We're the New York Yankees. We, paid, we get paid millions of dollars. We're literally like the, you know, one of the, the top three most uh, lucrative franchises in sports history, in all of sports, in the world. And we're sleeping yeah. in an airport right now. This is happening. <clears throat> so I was debating telling this story because it's embarrassing. Um, but I actually uh, pooped my pants in the Washington, D.C. airport. Back, uh, back in eighth grade on an eighth grade field trip, shit myself. Oh, wow. I thought you were going to say last week or two weeks ago. <laughs> no, it was at least whatever it was, 20, no, 15 years ago. Yeah. yeah. That's my memories of a Washington, D.C. airport. That's a brutal memory. I might have kept that one to myself. That's a, that's a brutal one to think of. So the entire time you're thinking of these guys sleeping at an airport, yep. you're thinking of little, little Andrew Otandi uh, scared out of his mind having to go to the bathroom so badly that he yep. just goes. Yeah, it was one of those uh, day-long field trips where we actually <laughs> flew down that morning and flew back. Wow. Didn't go all day. Shit happens sometimes, Scott. I guess so. You got a, you got a, you got a baby at home, you know. Don't, yeah, a baby, right, a baby. The, they wear diapers. The, uh, the, you guys, you guys flew on, uh, on school trips? What kind, of bougie, uh, what kind of bougie middle school did yeah. you go to? We took buses. Maybe it wasn't middle school then. Oh, what was I th- it? I feel like we're talking like college now. We, no, it wasn't college. We, I was we need to get on the, only, did we need to lay you down on a couch? I was definitely only like 11 or 12 years old. Yeah. The, um, I don't know. I, I took buses everywhere we went. Everywhere we went. It was buses. Yeah. I don't know. I think this timeline might be messed up. All right. What's up uh, for the next mailbag? Next one is from PJ. Is at now batting 99. This is how long do we see Hicks as the starter? This is what a lot of people have been pining for. A lot longer. Obviously, because Clint Frazier was coming back up. And then, all of a sudden, Clint Frazier shows his head, uh, shows his face in the clubhouse, and Aaron Hicks goes on a tear. It's a little coincidental, don't you think? little motivation. We saw Hicks get motivated last year in spring training when Aaron Judge was the new young kid around. Yeah. And now Clint Frazier might be threatening to take his job. And Hicks says, oh, I better, I better start hitting again. Get another inside the Parker, another triple, seven hits in the Kansas City series. Dude was batting cleanup today. Hadn't done that since, since high school. And he was batting leadoff the day before. So Boone is deploying him in different ways. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think I think it's uh, it's it's definitely telling to the way he reacts to things because I think it is something. I, you know, everybody t- keeps talking about how Aaron um, Aaron uh, Hicks is this guy who's ultra competitive, is really good at all these other sports, great golfer. Uh, you know, obviously he he reacts to pressure well, and, and he needs that type of thing to drive him. So, and, and and some people are definitely like that, where they if they have something, they can take it for granted. They can, uh, you know, just be a little lackadaisical, not thinking they're being lackadaisical, but just not put as much pressure on themselves. And then when they have something that's a fire in their in their uh, you know on their ass or something coming, they're like, okay, pressure's on. I got to do this, or I'm not going to be here. 
And that's what we're seeing. I think he does react to that. So I don't know how you bottle that up and use that as like a very regular thing. But maybe they should, Aaron Boone needs to figure that out because we're seeing a very good Aaron Hicks right now. We saw a very bad Aaron Hicks before that. Right. And if you're looking at the outfield as it stands, Gardner's still the one who hasn't had the results that we expect from Brett Gardner. No, I mean, he's been struggling for sure. And everybody keeps looking at the, you, you look at the numbers on Brett Gardner and it, they're not good. They're, they're not good numbers. Um, but when you look at the batting average, I'm sorry, the uh, on-base percentage and things like that, that's where you start to see how he's been. And he's been struggling lately, there's no doubt. But even when his numbers were bad uh, before his latest struggles, the on-base percentage was, was there. And we're also seeing um, the fact that he's working the count and setting himself up. And we've been talking about this. The, his... his his uh, value is not so much in the batting average and what he's doing with that. It's, it's working to count. It's getting on base for the guys after that. That's his biggest thing. I got to plug in my computer. So I'll be right back. Okay. I will read the next mailbag question and talk to myself as Scott plugs no, in his computer. It's from Colin at Colin 0515. Here's the name I haven't heard thrown out there yet. If the Yanks decide to get another pitcher at the deadline. Bartolo Colon. Texas will be selling come July, and Colon has been very consistent this year with a 3.32 ERA and whip around 0.90 at the time I'm writing this. He would present a cheap option where we could hold on to big-name prospects and get a guy who has been very uh, consistent and doesn't fear the big stage. Could Big Sexy make his return to the Bronx? And also, I don't know if you saw this, Ken Rosenthal reported that the Rangers are open for business. Uh, and I have to imagine... That means Cole Hamels and probably Bartolo Colon and whoever else on that roster is going to be traded. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see who they're going to do. Cole Hamels is definitely going to be a guy that's going to be traded. Uh, they're praying that he can have you know, some good starts string together. Uh, right now, I, I can't see Bartolo Colon coming over to this team. I just cannot see it. I just, it it's, if anything, it's, one of the, it's, a, it's a mental barrier for everybody to see. The fact that they would trade for a guy like, how old is he? Is he 50 yet? Is he 46? 45, he's 46. Old. He's freaking old. And the fact and he's the ageist wonder though. I understand that. I just can't see them mentally trading for a guy like Bartolo okay. Colon. I just can't see it. Well, is, how is that an upgrade really? It's not, it's really not, but because it's not like Bartolo Colon can give you a lot of innings. I mean, yeah, he might be able to go five innings and keep you in the game, but the Yankees have pitchers who can do that just fine. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Bartolo Colon has a rubber arm. The fact is that he becomes hittable after that. So he's, uh, look, I just don't think it's happening. Uh, it's, a, it's a very easy answer. I don't even think I have enough excuses to throw out there that are going to justify anything because it's just a simple answer. It's just, you look at this team, how young they are and how ready to go they are and how good they are. You can't trade for a guy like Bartolo Colon and add him to your roster. You just can't do it. I'm sorry. Bartolo the optics are the terrible. He was on the Yankees in 2011, and at that point, we were all saying, oh, isn't it funny, like Bartolo Colon, probably the last team he's ever going to pitch for. Here we are seven years later, and the dude is still pitching. I know. He's been around forever. The guy's been on practically every major league team. He's gone through a very, very interesting, when you see the pictures of the years go by, he's a very interesting transformation up to what we got now. Look, everybody loves a little big sexy sometimes when he does when he does uh, good things. Uh, you know when he goes deep with a, a per, was a perfect game or a no hitter. Everybody's rooting for the Sun, guy at Sunday that point baseball, because he's yeah, old yeah, yeah. and because he's he's a big dude. But no, he, we don't need him on this team. He should not be a New York Yankee right now. Should the Yankees take a look into the Cole Hamill sweepstakes? And here's we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but again, here it is. 2019, he has a 20 million dollar team option. 
but a $24 million vesting option with a $6 million buyout. The option vests if he won, has 400 innings pitched between 2017 and 18, including 200 innings in 2018. So he has to hit 200 innings in the 2018 season. And two is not on the DL with a shoulder or elbow issue at the end of 2018 season. It's going to be interesting. Again, he's got to he's got to put up some good numbers right now. He's got to show that he's able to do that. But I mean, he's one of those guys that makes sense if you think about a name. But I just don't know if he's that same guy anymore. He's got well, postseason history. I know he's not the same guy. A, but. Could it be a Justin Verlander situation where Justin Verlander was not motivated in Detroit last year? Detroit sucked. Justin Verlander is not a guy that's been injured, though. Justin Verlander is a guy that... He was coming off an injury in 2015, and that's kind of why his numbers went down. I understand Cole Hamels has probably had more injuries, but Cole Hamels Hamels was not injured last year. But Justin Verlander has been a very durable pitcher. I mean, he's a guy that that we haven't really seen much of a velocity dip. We haven't seen... I I really feel like that was a guy, give it like the way that he was pitching, was because of the situation he was in. He was. 24 starts last year for, for Cole Hamels. And then 32 back in 2016. Yeah, Verlander, Verlander was not a guy that, that really saw any, any drop-off in physical ability. I think we saw some, some performance issues. But again, we saw records being different. But he's still that good pitcher. And, and in big games, <clears throat> like he's still physically a present guy. Cole Hamels, I just don't think he's got the same stuff he used to. And I think that's the biggest one. Verlander has the same stuff. His stuff is still there. There's no doubt about that. Well, we'll see firsthand on Wednesday. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how he's pitching uh, and, and to show that he's healthy. But I, again, I have a feeling they're going to ask. They're going to be asking for too much for a guy like Cole Hamels. And I just think there there might be better options where if you're going to go and you're going to spend some of your you know your your uh, your your good prospects, you know guys like Corbin. Like I think that's a guy that they might try to target. But I don't see that happening either because but Arizona. Of the way the Arizona, Arizona is, is going to they're playing for that division. The Dodgers are off to a really rough start. Like right. they're playing to win that division. So that's why I don't think they're they're really going to be going after. That's a guy that has been you know surfaced as far as rumors and definitely right. we heard about him in the off season. But you got to look at where you know what teams are struggling. People have talked about the Mets and the Grom. Like the Mets and the Yankees just don't very make very many. That's trades. a good segue. They just don't. They these are not good ones. And I know I'll read the next. Uh, mailbag because it's from Luke Vanderhoff. He, he's in our Facebook group. He said WFAN was talking about the Yanks trading for Degrom and said that it could be a win-win for both sides. Wondering your opinions and what you think it would take to, t- to get, add Degrom to the rotation before the de- deadline. Frazier, Anduar, or possibly more. It's it's going to be a ridiculous ransom, a huge ridiculous ransom because <clears throat> he's going to be by far the best pitcher available. And, well, is he going to be available? I'm not. I'm not. If he were available, he would to. be the best pitcher available. And you're also going to the Mets, the crosstown rival, quote rival, and they're not going to give him up for anything but a king's ransom. Right. The Mets would ask more from the Yankees than they would another team in baseball. Any other team in baseball, and other any other team, they're going to the be asking for a lot. No, other than maybe like the Nationals or, or the Braves, they're not going to trade him there. I think they would trade him to the Yankees before they trade him in their own division. I but, just don't think it's happening. It's too I don't think it's big of a either. name. It's too let's big of a play guy. it out though. Let's let's humor Luke. Is Miguel Andujar and and uh, I almost said Todd and Clint Frazier? Does that get the job done? Those are two players that the Mets can plug into their everyday lineup tomorrow. Um, yeah, no, I don't think it does. I, I don't think those two guys even uh, even make that deal because I, I think when you're talking about a guy like Jacob Degrom, he's he's a uh, he, you know number one. Ace type guy. You has um, experience. He's uh, he's just a very good pitcher overall. And when you're talking about the the way that the um, the league is now and how coveted these pitchers are, 
I, I don't see them getting a guy like Miguel Anduar at, and, and an unproven guy like Clint Frazier that, yeah, they could plug in, but they also have prospects that haven't worked out very well. They need to see either a, a guy that's uh, way up there, like uh, a guy like Esteban Floriel, I could see potentially them talking about. But again, this is that would I think that's where it would start. All right. Uh, next question is from Chris. I know this was spoken about before, but I want your raw, uncensored opinion. I like Gardy and wouldn't mind seeing him retire as a Yankee. And the Yankees showing him uh, some loyalty means a lot, but do you see them trading him as part of a package deal this year or during the offseason? He's still worth something, or is he here to stay until retirement? Um, you know, I, I think Gardy is... I think this, this, this year is going to be a pivotal year. I don't think they're going to trade him in season. I don't think they're... Uh, they're they're going to. I, I really what don't. Would think they, what would they get? Him. I don't think they, they would get, get much. There, there's not really much you would get at this point for for a guy like him. So I, I think yeah, he's got the option for next year. That's why I think this is a pivotal year. I think what we're going to do is we're going to see this year play out. He's a very big part of this team. Whether you like him or not, I'm talking to uh, this this dude Jorge in the comments. Here's your shout out. He is he is an integral part of this Yankees team. And whether it's even if he's struggling, he's still an integral part because what we talked about before, he works the count. He gets big hits. He get his on base percentage is high. He still walks a lot. And what he's doing is he's setting the table for the guys that can mash the ball. So when you're looking at some of these statistics that don't matter as much, or you're seeing a, a, a mini slump, that's it. That's that's what it is. Like Brett Gardner is a streaky player. He's always been a streaky player. They're not going to get much for him. I think after this year, the Yankees, if they don't trade Clint Frazier in the middle of the season or at some point, what we're going to see is a very big decision for them to either renew that option or this is Clint Frazier's job. And I, and I don't think they will uh, renew that option at that point. I think at that point, what we're doing is we're going, getting off on more of like an amicable, uh, you know, a parting of ways. I think that's a, I think that's how it kind of plays out. Yeah. I think, I think we see Brett Gardner play for another team after the Yankees. Yeah, I think so too. Because yeah. he's already talked about that. He was talking about that on CeCe um, and Ruko's podcast. He wants to play for four more years. He's not playing for four it's more years not, on this team. No, it's something, I don't know. They, I could guess I could envision, I could make up a scenario in my head where that happens, but very, very unlikely. Yeah, no, no, it's not happening. Four years is not happening. It's just, it's just not. All right, what's the last question? Last one is from uh, David in Florida. He says, I just listened to your podcast and he got me thinking about Robinson Cano. I couldn't think of one clutch October hit or signature moment for him as a Yankee. He was a very talented uh, and put up great numbers, but seemed to disappear in the playoffs every year. His career postseason batting average is 222 uh, and had an OPS of 267. He put up great numbers in 2000. OBP. OBP, sorry, of 267. Uh, he put up great numbers in 2010 ALCS, uh, 348 and four home runs, but I can't remember any of it. Okay, um, sounds like a personal memory thing. Uh, I have to, I have to imagine this will rule him out for getting into the Hall of Fame and ruin his legacy. Just glad he wasn't busted in pinstripes. Well, they lost that ALCS to the Rangers. Had they won, I think maybe it would be a little bit more memorable than. I think maybe we might remember Cano leading them to that that uh, pennant. If the Yankees had beat the Rangers, and it was the Rangers, right? Am I remembering that correctly? So I, I think Cano is 
his his legacy is going to be tainted because 100% because of this whole thing, right? Definitely, we know that. That's what happens. He's uh, the the fact that these the other things are coming out. I think that we're now realizing if you if you listen to Shara and and kind of look at some time frames here because we just did a little bit of investigating ourselves, which really didn't do much. What didn't take too much, but you look at where the biogenesis when the biogenesis uh, scandal came out. That was what 2013. Is that what we said? Um, and. Robbie's assistant was on the list for biogenesis. A-Rod, biogenesis. Melky, his best friend, biogenesis. There's a lot of smoke around this. And I do remember the, there was smoke around uh, Cano at that point, but it was, it was linked to his assistant is, I think, what I'm remembering. But yes. when you listen to Shara and you say that he was not surprised and you see how it played out in the years of when, it, when the uh, biogenesis scandal came out and when he was a free agent, Maybe the Yankees gave him that offer because they knew that 10 years was one of those numbers that he was not going to accept anything from. Maybe they knew that if they gave him an eight-year deal, one, they'd still look like they offered him a deal, but they knew damn well that he wasn't going to accept it because there was, some, there was a lot of smoke that they knew about. I think a lot of people knew about this before what we're learning about now. Yeah, we gave, I've given Brian Cashman a hard time for deciding to lowball Cano and then go out and give seven years to Ellsbury. Lowball, lowball. year Low ball as far as the market goes. I mean, he got a ten-year, two hundred forty million dollar contract from year by the, uh, contract by a, by year average. Though you were still making a lot okay, of money, it's, but it's still it's still two fifty years. million dollars. We're talking about fifty million dollars. It was the two years. It was the big deal, right? And then going out and signing Ellsbury and Brian McCann and Carlos Beltran instead. I've given Cashman a hard time on that because I think Cano was the better player in all of those the dealings right if this factored into it then you have to reassess that whole offseason yeah i can still criticize brian cashman for the for giving jacoby Ellsbury i was gonna say it's years. kind of ironic who they signed <clears throat> because that is the worst contract in uh in yankees history i don't care steroids or not for for robinson cano i'd rather deal with cano and his steroids than deal with uh jacoby Ellsbury and his injuries whatever it is uh but but it does make you uh, reevaluate Brian Cashman uh, that offseason and his dealings with Cano. Yeah, I think the more we're hearing about this and the more guys are, are saying like, hey, something was going on. And Teixeira wouldn't go into details, but he pretty much said it wasn't a surprise. Surprising he was that candid like, with the whole situation. about it. Yeah. yeah. Because maybe most it's players... A, maybe it's not as a, a big of a surprise, as a, a big of a secret as well, we all obvi- think it is. Obviously it's not, but I think a lot of ex-teammates would just say, you know, I really hate to see that from a teammate. It, what he did behind closed doors was not my business. I just focused on going out there and playing. Right. Like that's the canned answer. He could have very easily, easily give, and he chose not to. And I respect him for not doing it. Well, I mean, he's, in I've a heard him spot. get criticized. I heard him get criticized saying that, Oh, he threw his ex teammate under, yeah. under the bus. Yeah. I mean, listen, to yeah, share speaking his mind, he is now a uh, media member. Right. And if all we're going to ask of our ex players is them to give canned response, then what the, Frick, are they going to do that job for? I'd rather have a guy who actually is honest and candid. So I respect that. Well, and I, I agree with that. I think that's his position now. His job is to tell his opinion, to talk about things. You know, I think he, he definitely left the details out and why he thinks that way. But he just kind of gave a broad, uh, you know, overview Fine. He doesn't of want to air Cano's dirty laundry, right. but at least we got enough of the tidbit from but it's also, yeah, on but, it. But it's also like, it's just to share a giving us some information to look back at what's already printed and we know about the fact that there was all this biogenesis related 
all these people related to biogenesis that are surrounding Robbie Cano. It's all right there in black and white. We knew all that stuff. I think a lot of us forgot the fact that his assistant was on that list. The fact that, you know, um, you know, Melky's his best friend and got busted was building fake websites and all. No one forgets that. That's hilarious. That's one of the funniest PED bus ever. The thing is, no, but I'm, I'm talking about the connection with Cano. Uh, uh-huh. And when you talk about these things, like, it's all right there. It's all right in front of us in the history books. We know that there was smoke there. And, and you know, there, there was that report I, I, about that when there was some, some, some link from Dominican Republic that was 86. Like, they, they said it wasn't a big deal. And every, it kind of got swept under the rug at that point when the smoke did come out about Cano um, because of his assistant. Took basically the fall on that one. But, yeah, you know, it's all there. It's not surprising. Before Teixeira said that, I wasn't surprised. Were you? Um, no, I wasn't surprised. I was, I was not. People were like, I think I said this last week. People were happy to see Cano get busted. I was not happy to see Cano get busted. I'm not happy to see anybody get busted for that. But if you're doing it and you get busted, then, I, you know, you're doing it for, you're, you're the one that's doing it. So, yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm, numb to, I'm numb to these stuff. I'm happy that you point. got busted rather than not get busted. I'm for rather sure. that you didn't get you go through skate through history and be, be one of the guys that did it and didn't get, get, get caught. I want all those guys to be exposed. Well, well, like, uh, like David, I'm happy he did not get busted in a Yankee uniform. Cause that yeah, would suck. Me too. <laughs> uh, all right. Thanks everyone who submitted the mailbag questions, submit yours for next week's episode. We do them on every Monday show. Next episode will be out on Thursday. As usual, we'll be talking about that Texas series and getting ready for the May 26th event. As Scott said at the top, you can still get tickets through today as you are listening on Monday. So if you want to still come to that event, if you're going to be in the Bronx over Memorial Day weekend, go check out the fan shop there. Scott, anything else before we get out of here? Hey, I'm pumped up for that. Over 200 people. We're going to be uh, rocking out 205. Potentially, birds return to Yankee Stadium, huh? That could be a big storyline when we're well, out there. Let's, Maybe. We don't know yet. We don't know yet. I'm going to tease you that. Birds return to Yankee Stadium. Come get your tickets. All right, guys. Talk to you in a few days. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.